from rehabbing and construction to luxury properties. Andy Polsky and his team are licensed real estate agents in the state of Minnesota with the brokerage Remax Advantage Plus and can be found online at apgroupmn.com. Now, here's Andy Polsky. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today will be a very informative podcast. I'm excited to, to get some great knowledge on the economy and where where interest rates and the entire mortgage industry is headed. We have Tom Alls with Edge Home Finance. He's a one of the top players in the state and, and very highly respected. How are you doing, Tom? Doing wonderful. Glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to, to gathering some knowledge from you guys as well. Yeah, it should be a good show. Andy Reams here as always. How's it going? Good, good. How's construction? Yeah, good. Busy. Yeah, everybody's slammed. And Marshall Saunders is in-house. Hello. Good to see you. You too. I'm hearing a lot of people who have fears of where the economy's headed, obviously. You know, I'd like to do different topics on the show, but <laughs> right. I think this is the most relevant, and it's fun, and it, it gives everyone a sound knowledge. Maybe you come in with an open mind, and, and you get your mind changed a little bit. I was super high on the economy recovering, and I've talked to a few people I respect recently who are a little more scared than I am. So it'll be an interesting show to to hear what Tom's take is on on where that's headed. And I think Andy Reem's going to tell us construction is booming. There's probably no end in sight for that. <laughs> yeah, not really. Uh, commercial uh, slowing up probably. I, uh, our, we don't we haven't done a lot of residential. I mean, that's not our primary line of work, but it's uh, yeah, residential. Bump. It's it's hard to find the subs yeah. I've used for ten years are all. Well, yeah, every, out. everybody's working from home. They got their classroom half at home. And, I yeah. mean, it's just, it's, you know, the home wasn't designed to do what people are trying to get it to do. When I say I'm hearing some fear, it's more from, like, an investment standpoint of, of where the economy is going mm. long term. Some of the numbers are so crazy. You can't keep track of them. The consumer confidence is at a low, right? And yet Target and Best Buy had their best quarters in their entire company history. Best Buy makes sense because they got distant stuff. I mean, you know, people are outfitting their their homes with, or they're outfitting whatever it is to be able to work satellite. You know, Target sells essentials. I mean, that's, I, I thought it was interesting too. I saw people have saved a lot of money, like savings are at like an all-time yeah, high too. Right. And part of it is, is that you get restaurants, uh, anything, entertainment, travel, right. stuff like that is in the tank, right. mm-hmm. you know, and I think my two cents on it, I think the worst is yet to come. I mean, I'm not a scientist or economist, but I just look around at what I see and I see a lot of people on the bench. And I tell you what, I, as a business owner, I can tell you that they're calling the herd. Um, there was a lot of fat on a lot of these companies. And as they started sending people home, they realized they didn't need them. Uh-huh. I mean, you yeah. know, how, how many people, how many surplus employees got brought on that were just, you know, kind of the fat man in the lifeboat eating all the rations. And when you got to start cutting costs, you're getting rid of some of these folks and you can do a lot more. And that's where I think you're going to see the downturn in, you know, rent values. Uh, I see a lot of vacancies instead of tenant transitions, you're just doing gut jobs. Uh, kind of thing. So that's kind of just my observations is that it just seems like, you know, you're obviously going to have places that always need a building, but I think there's a lot of places that are really looking at it and there's really no end in sight with the old cronies. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a fan of people wearing masks. I think people are dirty just in general and I don't really want to catch a cold either, you know, but it's, uh, I just don't know where things go. 
there's going to be a lot of jobs lost in entertainment and travel, but if you can act on the fly, there's going to be a lot of opportunity and more in the tech industry and tech and online, you know, when you talk mm -hmm. about Best Buy and Target and even Amazon, when you look to see what has happened, I mean, I think mm -hmm. most everything is finally transitioning to online, you know, people even with Amazon, Tesla, I mean, right. even Tesla isn't an online company, but you right. look at what they're doing, there's still some major uh, improvement, as you mentioned, with stock market being where it's at. It's scary. I remember from being in this industry with 2007 and thinking, okay, what could happen? You know, what are we right. looking at here? If two, you know, 2006, 2007, okay, properties aren't going to appreciate at 20% forever. Right. That means they're going to go to zero. Right. You know, I'm trying to think a worst case scenario. Well, worst case scenario to me at that time wasn't a 20% right. negative reset. Never 25, 50 percent, never. Right. So, you know, I think part of the history and being, I don't know, going through that pain before is trying to look at what is the worst that could happen. You know, and I think you hit it on the head earlier before we started recording, especially with residential real estate. The worst is still recoverable in such a short amount of time that it's still the best investment, no matter where we can talk about the stock market and what's going to happen. Well, there could be it could go you could go bankrupt, you know, mm -hmm. you could go to zero, especially when you look at some of these tech companies. We do a decent amount of business in California, and I look at a lot of these guys that work for tech companies, and they got an eighty or $90,000 a year salary, mm -hmm. but then they're getting eight to 900000 in stock options. Right. So that's how they're paying for the $2 million, $3 million house, which is the normal house out there. But I think that's where... Now, my personal opinion, when we start to see any change in housing from that aspect, I think it's going to happen starting on the West Coast mm -hmm. um, in those areas where you have so much of that average median home being over a million dollars in a mm -hmm. lot of those areas. How can somebody afford that? You know, what are some of the indexes that we view to determine what's coming down the pipe, right? And, uh, and historically for us, we've always looked at auto deficiencies. You know, you see what are, when people can't start making their car payment, eh, that's the first thing. Normally the house payment's the last one to go. But with COVID, we have a very high unemployment rate right now, but the delinquencies aren't showing because of either forbearance or deferment. You know, out of, I mean, I have uh, fortunate enough to have some good high-end clients that are doctors or own own their own uh, practices. And most of them put their mortgages in forbearance during this time because they weren't sure, mm. right? What's going to happen? I might not be able to open my my door. So, you know, instead of it reporting late, because they, they're not late, but they paused the payment. So, right. you know, it goes three months and they had a $5,000 payment. Month four, now they owe... You know, they owe four months worth of payments. They're owing 20 grand. Right. And it's not reporting to where a lot of uh, um, the indexes that we track for finances are, are showing accurately. So it's making it it's making it really tough as, you know, as uh, whether you're a property investor or in real estate, mortgage, uh, any anything where you're using predictors, right, uh, to see what's coming down the line. It's really tough right now the way that things are being, the way things are being hidden. Is that the case that if you were in the four, you owe a lump sum payment at the end of four months, or do they tack it on to the back end of it? So they didn't tack it on to the back end of it. They just paused it. So, oh. I mean, I've had a lot of people to where, you know, let's not talk about the doctors, just your average homeowner. Yeah, yeah. And they have a $2,000 a month payment. And, hey, I'm just going to hit pause on this. Why not? Mm -hmm. And then they call me because uh, they were at 4%. Rates are lower now to where it benefits them to to look at refinancing and pull their credit and show, hey, well, it's not reporting late. 
but I can see it hasn't reported in three months. Yeah. And while I owe, you know, I owe 2000 now it's month four, I got to pay an $8,000 mortgage payment. Well, there's a reason most people don't have uh, the ability to save money. Right. Mm -hmm. I wish that that wasn't the case. Yeah. But as you know, the majority of our consumers live paycheck to paycheck. Well, if that's the case and they didn't make a mortgage payment because they didn't think they had to, what's coming down the line with all of those people that were in forbearance? So, you know, there's been some legislative action where they've talked about exactly as you're saying, well, can we tack it on the back end of it? Uh, but at this point, that hasn't happened. Same thing is happening with evictions. Yeah. They uh, continued to, so you couldn't actually like put somebody on the street is my understanding, but it didn't stop people from continuing to file them. And so I was had seen that they're talking about eviction rates are, there's, there's kind of like a, a looming, you know, take 60 days or something from whatever the end of July for it to really start hitting. Then you're going to see a bunch of people who weren't able to pay their rent uh, get in the boot, too. And it sounds like it's something fairly similar where same thing was true. They were like, oh, yeah, hey, no problem. You don't have to pay your rent. We won't kick you out. But as soon as that comes up, you owe a huge chunk of money. And a lot of these folks lost their jobs, too. I mean, they weren't the kind of people that were necessarily, you know, A, they didn't have savings, but B, once that paycheck runs out, I mean, you know, now you start actually making decisions on whether I'm going to eat or pay my rent. And I think you get, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's right. I think the worst is yet to come. Right. To give a, a residential real estate or an agent point of view on, you, you kind of posed a question there, yep. Tom. In my take on that is I, I think we will see some repercussions in South Minneapolis, but it's going to take time. And as far as values in real estate, residential real estate, for sure, and commercial, I would imagine they're they're feeling that yeah, like right now. Yeah. But as far as residential, I have a ton of clients, too, that I've been talking to over the last couple of years, young families, and, oh, we want to move out to the West Metro, you know, eventually. And now they're really dialing that up. And I think it's a good move. Like, I don't think there should be an exodus. I, I don't think real estate values are going to plummet or anything in South Minneapolis. But right now we're riding a high of this spring market that got pushed out. And it's the busiest. You've got to, it's got to be one of the busiest no, markets you've ever seen. Normally people buy when their kids aren't in school. And now <laughs> their kids are <laughs> yeah. not in school. So, so it I, hasn't stopped. I think now would if you are planning on moving... I think you're going to probably sell your house for 5% more versus this time next year, but who who knows if, yeah. if it's in South Minneapolis. Yeah, makes sense. If you get outside more into Edina, the, the more you move out, I don't think we'll see that change. But no matter where you are, I feel like you're going to sell your house for probably 3% more now than if you sold it in January. Yeah. You know, because it's just a, a crazy hot market, but it's got to slow down a little bit. I'm thinking probably like going into Thanksgiving, if not before then like maybe trickle down a little bit, or do you think it could just continue going? You have a pretty good pulse on the real estate side. Obviously, on the, the financial side, for me, rates, you know, they're saying rates are not going anywhere for a while, at least with them moving the Fed fund rate, right? Now, you still have mortgage-backed securities that move to where you might see 25 to 3% one way or the other. Um but the cost of ownership right now still is it's going to be less than what inflation is. And I think this is where, you know, when we talk of why why things are so busy, it's the same if you look at a chart and see, OK, well, not that long ago, I could say two years ago, we were almost up to four and a half, you know, percent. We're, people are getting half of that now. 
that's allowing them to have the home that they would want instead of spending the money as Andy Ream can anticipate. If I wanted to do an upgrade on my home because I need more out of it now, um, do I want to spend the money on finding a contractor to fix it, mm. uh, which is tough? I mean, it's uh, it's tough to find contractors to show up because there's, there's only so many of them, and residential contracting is just booming, right? And mm-hmm. to, Or does it make sense for me to, if I was at 4% and I was happy, does it make sense for me to just buy a new place that was $150,000 more? My payment's about the same, mm-hmm. you know? So there's so much of that going on right now that's driven. I think the the government has tried to keep those rates low to stimulate the economy with something that isn't going to be just printing PPP money. To me, it's one of the best ways to curb inflation is, okay, well, right. let's leverage the one thing, the, the one asset that most people in our country have, and there's no more of, right? You can't, you can print more money. You're never going to be able to print more land. I don't, you know, <laughs> 3D printers might go to work at some point in that. But <laughs> at this point, you know, if anything, we're losing land, right? With rising, uh, rising oceans and everything else. But I mean, we're losing land. So that's something to where if we can borrow on that at a rate that they're still making money, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that from that standpoint, we're going to see anything for the next year and a half, you know, at least from what uh, has been said from from the government on moving that Fed fund rate. Might be a half a point swing in between here and there. It happens sometimes on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. as far as rates going up to where it's going to make people all of a sudden, you know, Andy, I'm looking at a house at 400000 and then all of a sudden, well, rates moved. I got to go down to three fifty. I don't think we have any fear of that happening for the next year and a half. Yeah, and that's that's why I think we'll have a healthy recovery with the housing market and in the the mortgage industry helping pull us out of this because from an investment standpoint too, it's like if you try to time the market, that's that's pretty impossible to do just right. Well, even if you're thinking about selling, say you have a portfolio of homes, you're thinking about selling them now, it's it's pretty tough to sell them when you can refinance them and and I mean what are you going to do with the, that money? Yeah, I mean, the numbers, to... yeah, then buy more is what yeah. I would do. If I'm selling <laughs> anything, I'm I'm thinking of buying more at half the interest rate and just let it roll. I've had more people uh, recently than I've ever had that are referred from financial advisors with houses on Tonka, a $3 million house, and hey, I was told to borrow half a million dollars. Let's go up to 510000 and if we can get below 3%, uh, we want to borrow as much as we can below 3%. You know, There's more of those people that are starting to leverage. We're at the all-time high for people with equity in their home. I think the national average is we're leveraged like 54% on from a loan-to-value perspective. We're at the lowest interest rates we've ever had in the history of rates, and we're at the highest value of people with equity in their home. Yet, you know, we're still from a government standpoint, still giving so much away that we're going to have to pay back later to where, to me, it's the only thing that's going to, as you mentioned, keep uh, keep real estate moving with inflation. I mean, we haven't seen crazy, crazy inflation numbers on real estate like we did 2000 to 2006, right? At that point, we were at 20%. Some of our best areas, what are you seeing for appreciation? Seven, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I would, six, I would seven, say seven top, you know, yep, five um, to six. 
you know, so I think uh, as long as we don't have the rate fallout, unlike what happened with the market collapse last time, it wasn't the rate fallout. It was bad loans, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And this what do they time, call them ninja loans. Yeah, I mean, we had them all. You know, stated <laughs> stated income, stated assets. That was basically it. You know, I remember, and you know, it's uh, this is why I, I've stayed a broker almost my entire career, right? And I've enjoyed the fact where I feel like I'm an advocate for my consumer and finding them the best option that's out there. I can search every bank in the country to find them the best deal. Well. Back when I was doing that in 2005, that might have been a loan to yeah. where that was the best loan for them because they were in, you know, a 7% rate with something. Well, then it's, you know, it's we got blamed for a lot of it still, but it was uh, at that point, it was, right. okay, so how much do you make? We didn't have to ask that question, right. you know. Now, laws have changed. Uh, Minnesota even has their own set of regis- uh, legislation on it. You've got to meet an ability to repay, you know. Everyone who gets a mortgage now at a 2% or 3% rate, they've met that ability to repay, you know, and there's not adjustable rate mortgages like there used to be. There's still some out there, but nobody, what is the point in doing it? You look at most adjustable rate mortgages are based off of an index of LIBOR or uh, cost of funds index. 30-year fix is based off of uh, 10-year treasury. 10-year treasury has been at 0.5, 0.4. I think we're at 0.55 roughly right now, maybe even 0.6. It doesn't even make sense. You know, I have a customer ask me, hey, I'm thinking about selling in five years. Okay. So let's. I really want to do an arm. Well, why do you want to do an arm? Well, I want the lowest paying possible. Well, let's look at the risk reward here. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, a cost of a refinance. You're going to pay these state recording fees. You're going to pay, uh, you know, let's say three percent, two percent on top of whatever the loan amount you're borrowing is. You've sucked up all of that little bit of money you saved by putting yourself in a risky situation. So, I can tell you for us, and we're closing. I think this month we'll probably close around six hundred transactions. I don't think one of them are an arm. No, you know, it just it's not really there. So, you know, for me, it's been tough watching my friends who went to medical school who have taken the right path, so to speak, and they're the ones struggling this time with the fear of what's happening. But the real estate industry is consistent now. Right. It was, I think they put a lot of, uh, they, they overdid it a little bit with some of the Dodd-Frank stuff where they uh, changed some of the things in lending. But the, the core principle is you need to show that you can afford it is there. So, you know, the only way that we have a housing collapse, which is still possible, as I said last time, and I thought I knew what was coming. Whenever you think you know what's coming, you don't know what's coming, right? right? So what could happen? Well, if unemployment drops and people lose their jobs, they don't have the ability to repay, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where it gets scary and looking at, uh, you know, what are our unemployment numbers and what is... What does that mean? You know, how how accurate is that with people that are actually getting paid more on unemployment? So they're keeping everything up. But then there's also a big chunk of people that have still managed to operate under COVID. But what does that happen if it spikes again, as they're saying? You know, what happens to those people with it or they're in that uh, forbearance situation and now they owe 15 grand and then it spikes again, you know? So I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, when we talk about civil unrest, to me, there's a lot of unrest in the financial world that we don't know, right? And that's, there's nothing scarier for me and at least ever being in that position again that I was in 2008 and thinking I had everything figured out and then watching everything just evaporate within within a year, you know, where mm-hmm. I was, at least for me, we had a pretty successful company at that time. And I was pulling from my own 
uh, retirement to pay my employees, you mm, know, right. and this time I don't want to do that and I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> that wasn't fun. no, it wasn't, but looking, okay, well, what could happen? Right. So I think it's important to have conversations like these to get to others insights and to start thinking outside of the box of, okay, what could happen? You know, the only thing that, in my opinion, that happens is unemployment. Because the, the bad loans aren't there. You can't blame it on that this time. There's no more land. So anything that's a natural resource, it's always going to go up. The only fear that we have, in my opinion, is unemployment. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, that seems like it's a pretty legitimate concern. Because even if the loan is good, when people were gainfully employed, all of a sudden now you take their job away. And they would never qualify at some stage in the game. A lot of them probably stay afloat for a period of time. I don't. I don't know that you would actually see that snowball. I mean, like I say, residential seems pretty stable. People need to live. Yeah. But I could see a market of houses, you know, exceeding a certain dollar amount that maybe people were getting close to, or maybe in some of the industries that, you know, were paying really well. Um, I could see that slowing up. But um, I mean, it would take an awful lot to really actually get to that point where. You know, you start actually depressing the value of of real estate to where somebody's like, oh, I'm, you know, not going to pay 400 grand for a house because, you know, there's just there's so many people that where the supply would become so much that it, that it lowers the price. But I don't know. Yeah, I That's, think that uh, touches on what Tom said earlier, yeah, where, where we'll probably see if we see any effect in the real estate market long term. It's probably going to be those San Francisco, Seattle's where, yeah, where yeah. prices are so inflated. And in these people who are working for Google, making maybe not even Google because they're they're probably yeah. doing better than ever. But some of these tech companies, we're we're seeing pain, but it's so we're also seeing gains all over the board. So those yeah. people that are losing their job or taking pay cuts, eventually they're going to transition into something else that's doing well, like a Peloton or, or home office, mm-hmm. Zoom, one of those. It, we'll see short-term pain, in my opinion, but we should be able to – we went from what? The worst or the best jobs numbers to the worst ever? It's like we got hit by a phantom asteroid or something, and, and that's the way I look at it. But we don't have the, the, natural, the natural disaster besides coronavirus of an asteroid, so – I think we're headed in the right direction, and there's going to be a lot of short-term pain still, but that'll create opportunity. There's so much pent-up demand in the housing market. A little bit less competition is a good thing. Right now, we're not seeing it, but we did see it when when everyone, when the governor had the stay-at-home order. There are people out there that were just ecstatic, like, oh, this house is priced right. It would have had 10 offers three weeks ago if it was listed. Now... You know, I can put in one offer and get the house. Hmm. So now I think we're not we're not seeing that. We're back to the ten offer scenario where anything under like four hundred thousand, it's yeah they go quick crazy. I see in our neighborhood uh, if it's priced right again. Yeah, I'll always take it with that. Yeah, yeah. If you overprice your home, it's not selling no matter what the market yep, is. Yep. But if you we're looking at listing one right now, and and she wants to get three forty, I'm like. We list at three twenty nine. You got a better chance of getting three forty than if we list at three forty, right. because we might get one offer and they're going to come in and they're going to say, "We want new windows. We want this on inspection." Whereas if we can list it where it seems like really good value, people are going to fight over it, pay more than asking price potentially or right at asking, and then 
when we go to inspection, they're not going to beat us up because they're going to know there's three people in line behind them that want the house, so they're not going to ask for new windows or, or a, you know, a, a price break because they got to replace windows. You know, and just what maybe your your opinion when you talk about multiple offers, you know, just from you. I mean, I get to see kind of an overview of a lot of agents, right? And I've always liked working with you because you seem to win a lot of those offers that are in multiples. Um, what would you say is your, you know, what do you do different or what are you able to help with a buyer in a situation that's looking for that three to 400000 Not as a seller, but a buyer. What do you do that helps them win? It's it's definitely a balancing act. It, it depends on the buyer and how well they're qualified. And, and you basically want to build a rapport with the listing agent, not be annoying, but be in their back pocket, be very professional, friendly, get that good rapport going where you you can present your buyer's offer like you're, you're presenting it to more of a colleague, a friend, whereas I think a lot of agents think they need to posture real tough or you know negotiate tough yep and you i keep that in my back pocket for later the the goal is to get that place under contract and then if you need to negotiate tough afterwards you can do that so just making sure you have everything dialed in and in a guy like you tom will will call the listing agent if i ask him to and say hey this buyer's extremely well qualified, 20% down. You know, this good is good as cash. We normally do a pre approval letter that shows uh, yeah. that they've been through and are good as cash. So, yeah, they'll offer like almost an additional $10,000 in earnest money, essentially, where they're, they're guaranteeing they'll potentially pay out $10,000 if the financing falls apart. Yep. So that helps a lot as well. And just, yeah, just having that rapport and then finding out what the seller's needs are too. I think a lot of agents will just put in a blind offer. Well, I talked to their agent. Have they found their next home? Are they downsizing? Are they are they moving into a townhome? When do you want to close? And just making the offer every possible which way to suit the needs of the seller. So sometimes it doesn't even come down to price if you're within a few thousand dollars they're going to give you the deal because it's a it's a it has less uh less outs and less red tape i guess no it makes sense offer. i mean i think it's good to cover because you know from my standpoint i get to see it right there's nothing uh i don't want to say it's frustrating for me but i have a lot of agents that will you have a house with multiples and they do exactly as what you said they throw something in and the the buyers get frustrated i put in 10 offers and i'm not winning any well I don't want to step on toes, but I've noticed with most of the people that you work with that you end up winning one way or another. And I think the big the big thing is with that is the communication. If if you obviously represent enough sellers, you know, if you have t- 10 offers, seller isn't going to read all 10 of them, right? They're normally relying on who's my, I want to hear my agent's perspective on why and which one's best, right? For sure. And if you're spending that time to create the relationship to where they know what to expect, that's what wins deals. So yeah. um, it's been good working with you on that and seeing how, you know, seeing how you handle it. And hopefully, you know, if there's anybody looking to buy in that price point, they reach out to you. Yeah, I appreciate it, buddy. It's phenomenal working with you, too, and getting your knowledge on the backside. Sometimes Tom's not even financing deals. My clients already have someone that they're working with. And I'll call Tom for advice because I know I'm getting the best advice possible. I just called him on a VA loan recently. They're not going to use him to buy because they're buying with cash, but... The buyers buying their property are using a VA loan, so I got to pick Tom's brain on how we should 
proceed and and just know the ins and outs of a VA loan from from the backside. So I really appreciate that, Tom. Absolutely. We've got a couple more tricks up our sleeve for those multiple offers, but you got to work with me and and then I'll <laughs> I'll disclose that we're not gonna we're not gonna just give away all the lay those yeah. out for all the other agents. I just think it's good for uh, it's good for the people that are on though to 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 understand that there is a difference in a competitive market. You have to understand what it takes to win, right? And it's the same for me. Why I've been a broker my whole career. I, I, I can shop every bank, you know, if there's a rate that I need to have or a price that we need to have, we get it. If I have to do the loan for free to to help out a client, that's what we do. So it's been good partnering uh, partnering with you and excited uh, excited to keep keep moving forward. I appreciate it, buddy. Well, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to put this out there today, but I think the conversation where it's gone is a good opportunity. The team's running pretty well. With the agents, Melissa's doing great. I've got Anne Marie's working. Peter's doing great. So we're getting to the point where it's probably going to be a pretty well-oiled machine in the near future, and we're going to be opening up an operation in Colorado. So I'll still this is going to be my bread and butter industry, you know, Minneapolis market. But we're going to start a a small boutique shop out in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And I couldn't be more excited, but we'll be back and forth between the two and we'll keep you posted on how that's happening. I'm still deciding what direction everything is going to go, but it's definitely happening. That's awesome. Colorado's just a, besides a beautiful area, it's a booming area like like Minneapolis. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Tom. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Good to see you again, Andy. Yeah, you too. Appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. Awesome. This has been Andy Polsky's Guide to Financial Freedom Through Real Estate. Andy and the team at the AP Group of REMAX Advantage Plus bring you, the listener, and their clients a wealth of knowledge and experience in real estate, investing, remodeling, construction, vacation rentals, and developing. They can be reached at 763-639-6522 or online at apgroupmn.com. This podcast was produced by Minnesota Podcasting, who can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the individual participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the AP Group, REMAX Advantage Plus, or Minnesota Podcasting.